beloved, we are gathered here today to remember those who have transgressed against the great spirit of inclusion and must henceforth be forever cast into the abyss of dead names. In this moment of our remembrance, we prove with great grief and wailing the sincerity of our noble tolerance. What we once wrongly allowed in the ignorance of white privilege has become the cleansing rite of virtue signaling we use to prove our purity. Join with me now as we remember those we've lost. First, the term manslaughter because of its sexism and cisgender bias. Obviously, we should be just as concerned about woman slaughter as we are about manslaughter. And naturally, neither of these transphobic terms is acceptable because they completely neglect the awful crime of other slaughter. But when considering upgraded substitutes for manslaughter, it was not an easy task. Obviously, the more generic human slaughter gains us nothing ethically since man is still the focal syllable of the unavoidably sexist word human. Then we thought that person slaughter might be a suitable improvement, but we immediately noticed that person slaughter clearly contains the sexist and transphobic syllable son, which renders it unacceptable. This led us to the more trans-inclusive term people slaughter. And of course, we liked the way the suffix slaughter emphasizes the equal value of animals and people, an equivalency we fully endorse. But due to recent addenda to the semi-binding intercongregational protocols on English language modernization provided to us by the Stanford University Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative, we realized that instead of affirming animal status equity, people slaughter has the effect of marginalizing the suffering of animals by desensitizing us to how they're murdered. Moreover, the term actually commits species appropriation by stealing the unique word from animal kind and using it for humans. Thus, we were in a bind. Given the tension between liking the term people slaughter because it equivocates people and animals and disliking the term because it marginalizes the violence done against them in the name of carnivorism, we were presented with a real linguistic dilemma. But then we remembered. Jackson's fifth rule of word eradication. Whenever the option to keep a word or to eliminate it exists, eliminate the word. Banning words is always the best option. This meant that people slaughter must become something less offensive to the cows and pigs and lambs of this cruel country, and thus we now endorse the term people-making not alive. And so, in the future, when someone commits a homicide without intent to kill, we will demand it be described as, for instance, vehicular people-making not alive. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend! Second, the word field. As the University of Southern California Social Work Department this week announced it would eliminate this horrible term from all departmental curricula and, and practice due to its unavoidably anti-black and anti-immigrant connotations and to replace it with the much more inclusive practicum. As the departmental memo stated, language can be powerful and phrases such as going into the field or field work may have connotations for descendants of slavery and immigrant workers that are not benign. We certainly celebrate this important next step in the anti-racist evolution of English. No doubt you yourselves have felt the marginalizing hurtfulness of someone asking you what your field of study was, or the painful othering of being told to survey the field. Microaggressions designed specifically to remind you of the slave trade or the oppression of migrant workers. We all have. We all have. Now, as for the term practicum for the social work domain, this is clearly a good choice due to the difficulty of pronouncing it, and also the obscurity of its meaning. Forcing people to use words they've never heard before is always good. But what should we tell farmers? Well, they can go to work in the plant cultivation spaces, or the agriculture endeavor zones, or even crop spots. 
Uh, similarly, what of sports ball players? Well, football and baseball, to name just two, aren't are going to need names which don't microaggress against their minority players by reminding them that they're being lorded over by the owners of the fields in which they toil for the slave-like wages of multi-million dollar contracts. So perhaps we could call it the football rectangle. Or maybe a little cute, the yard, since that's the base unit of measurement for the playing surface. Perhaps the baseball catching place? Or, for those more mathematically inclined, the not-quite-exactly-a-quarter-circle? The FBI, for instance, can have its agents on the street instead of field agents, and local headquarters instead of field offices. People who are sexually active can be described as soliciting multiple offers instead of playing the field. Public officials can interact with reporters by simply answering questions instead of fielding them. The Earth's magnetic force structure can simply be that instead of the other thing. The magazine could be crop spot and stream. We can reduce the candidate list instead of narrowing the field. And of course, children can simply go on learning excursions instead of the obviously white supremacist field trips. See, this is all very simple. It's just not that hard if you try to be better. Whoa unto all who offend. Whoa unto all who offend. And finally, we want to heartily celebrate the groundbreaking work being done by the Tribeca-based real estate consultancy HRNA Advisors in telling applicants for its six-figure positions to remove, quote, all undergraduate and graduate school name references from their resumes, and to only cite the degree itself in order to advance their, quote, ongoing work to build a hiring system that is free from bias and based on candidate merit and performance. This is, quite frankly, the superior solution to the historic problem that minorities have been systematically excluded from prestigious institutions of higher learning. Instead of affirmative action programs to try to shoehorn oppressed people groups into restrictive academic environments, simply take away the employment advantage gained by attending those schools. If we declare that all colleges and universities are equal, suddenly it won't matter where you attend and all students and applicants will be freed from the tyranny of inequitable educational opportunities. Just think of the possibilities. All schools can charge the same tuition since they'll now become equal. All schools can have the same entrance requirements, or perhaps none at all. No more anxious waiting to see if you got into your top schools or have to settle for your backup. Students can simply go to the university closest to their homes, which will of course reduce greenhouse emissions from wasteful travel to and fro. Professors can all be paid the same salary since there won't be a need to try to recruit better researchers, those with more publications to their names. Just think of it, a world in which Harvard and San Diego State are equal. Where a degree from MIT and Northern Illinois University mean the same thing. No more outrageous student debt, no more intercollegiate rivalries, and who needs to verify academic credentials when all credentials are the same? This any degree will doism is surely a beautiful and liberating thing. What a brave new world of equality and inclusion inclusion this could be. Oh the glory. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend. And now, with these cleansing rites perform, may we all go forth in loving tolerance and microaggress no more. Woe unto all who offend. Woe unto all who offend.